Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When we think of serial killers, we often think of men. And more especially, we think of white men like Ted Bundy or John Wayne Gacy. And occasionally, we may think of serial killers of color, like Sam Little or Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. And we rarely consider female serial killers, like Kristen Gilbert, a white woman who used her position as a nurse to kill her victims. But what about black women who serially kill? Do they even exist? And if so, What drives them to commit numerous murders? And maybe most significantly, who are their victims? Today's story is about a black female serial killer named Roberta Elder, who is believed to have murdered at least 14 people. When Roberta Elder's husband suddenly passes away, an investigation into his death uncovers several other similar deaths that took place in the Elder home. And detectives don't have to look too far to find their number one suspect. I'm your host, Nisa. Welcome to the Lost Crimes Library podcast. This is the chilling story of serial killer Roberta Elder. Roberta Brown was born on July 18, 1910. In her teenage years, she married Will Thurmond in Oconee County, Georgia. Roberta gave birth to a son named James Willie, and the three moved from Watkinsville to Atlanta, Georgia. Soon their family grew, and Roberta gave birth to two girls, Willie May, who was born on March 19, 1931, and Lily May. But only a month after her birth, On April 14, 1931, Willie May died at the family home at 2116 Harris Street. Little Willie May's cause of death was listed as acute bronchial pneumonia. But as the family was grieving one great loss, another tragedy struck the family when Willie May's sister, Lily May, died at just one week old. After the deaths of their two young daughters, Roberta and her husband Will separated. Then, Roberta and a man named John Woodward became common-law husband and wife. The new couple moved into 519 Bedford Place in Atlanta with her surviving son, James Willie. But hard times found Roberta once again, because on December 4, 1938, John Woodward died after a three-day illness. 
After an autopsy, his cause of death was listed as undetermined. The following year, on April 10, 1939, 13-year-old James Willie Thurmond, Roberta's only remaining child, became ill. He died at home in the care of his mother on June 26, 1939. His cause of death was listed as influenza and malnutrition. From the outside looking in, it appeared that Roberta had some seriously poor luck and that tragedy was becoming a familiar occurrence in her life. But it would seem her luck turned around the following year, when she unofficially married James Garfield Crane in 1940. James already had a daughter, Nada Bell, from a previous relationship. The three began their new life together by moving into 1328 Easton Street in Atlanta. Soon after moving into their new home, on October 13, 1941, when Nada Bell was 16 years old, she gave birth to a son named Jimmy Lee. But he also sadly died in the Easton Street home on December 10, 1943, at two years old. His cause of death was listed as bronchial pneumonia. The devastation and loss just continued to radiate throughout Roberta's family. One relative after the other just kept passing away suddenly and from mysterious causes. For example, Roberta had a three-year-old cousin, Gloria Evans, who lived with her in the Easton Street home. She died on December 26, 1944, and her cause of death was listed as acute gastroenteritis. And on December June 17, 1945, Roberta's 60-year-old mother, Callie Brown, died of undetermined causes. What's more, on July 21, 1947, Roberta's husband, James Garfield Crane, reportedly died of food poisoning in their home. Shortly after James's death, Roberta befriended Reverend William Elder, his wife Willie May, and their five children. On January 29, 1950, the Elder family had their own tragedy when William's wife, Willie May, died from influenza while in the care of Roberta. But soon after Willie May's passing, Roberta and Reverend William got married. Roberta, William, and his five children all moved into Roberta's Easton Street home in Atlanta, Georgia. Once again, Roberta knew the love of a family. She had the opportunity to be a mother and wife once again after enduring so many losses over the years. In 1952, in a small town in Atlanta, Georgia, Roberta Elder and her new husband were starting a new chapter in their lives. Reverend William was a respected Baptist preacher and a construction worker by day. But only one year into their marriage, misfortune struck the Elder family again. William's daughter, Annie Pearl, suddenly became ill with pneumonia and died. Sadly, a year after Annie Pearl's death, his other daughter, Fanny May, also came down with a severe case of pneumonia and passed away too. Fanny May was 15 years old at the time of her death, and Annie Pearl was only nine at the time of her death. It was turning out to be a rough first year for the Elder family. However, it became worse a little over two years into their marriage when Reverend William became violently ill. William was at his construction job when he suddenly became sick. 
He told his co-workers that after eating a snack of bananas and cheese prepared by his wife, he felt terribly ill. When he left work early and returned home, Roberta called for the doctor to tend to him. The doctor examined him, then gave him medicine, and instructed the family or his wife, Roberta, to call him immediately if there were no improvements in William's condition after taking the medicine and resting. However, the doctor was not called again until William was already dying, and it was too late to save him. Reverend William M. Elder died on August 21, 1952. His body was taken to the coroner's office for an autopsy. The coroner who examined William's daughters, Annie Pearl and Fannie Mae, also examined William's body, and he was in total shock when William's skin looked really red and had sores all over it and his body was emaciated more than it should have been. The coroner was beginning to grow concerned with the multiple recent deaths in the elder home. First, Annie Pearl and Fannie Mae had died suddenly, and now William did too. It was all very odd to the coroner how people of the elder family seemed to be passing away one by one. So he decided to test William for arsenic poisoning. He knew that the symptoms of arsenic poisoning could present much like pneumonia, which is what Annie Pearl and Fannie Mae had supposedly died from. After finding arsenic in William's body, the coroner alerted the authorities to the multiple suspicious deaths coming out of the elder family home. The investigation into the deaths at the elder home uncovered some interesting information. For one, William's children had observed that while William and his daughters were ill, Roberta gave them milk of magnesia to help ease their symptoms. But they began to suspect that maybe this was how Roberta administered the arsenic poisoning. After the surviving family members began experiencing symptoms themselves, they were treated for exposure to arsenic. Authorities unearthed something else during the investigation. Roberta Elder had taken out insurance policies on each of the deceased elder family members. After this discovery, police ordered the exhumation of Annie Pearl and Fannie Mae. During the examination of their bodies, trace evidence of arsenic was found in both girls' hairs and their skin tissues. This was enough evidence for police to arrest Roberta Elder. The continued investigation exposed more chilling information. They learned that Roberta Elder had been committing murders since 1938, leaving a trail of bodies behind. She was even suspected of murdering some of her friends. Supposedly, it all started in 1938 with the death of her common-law husband, John Woodward, who was just 36 years old. After that, 10 more potential victims were identified. These victims died mysteriously, all while living with Roberta. As previously mentioned, these victims included an adult son of hers, two of Roberta's infant children, one of which was only one week old, and the other only two weeks old. More of her victims included her 13-year-old son, her grandchild, who was just two years old, and Roberta's mother. After these deaths, Roberta remarried a couple of times, and it is reported that at the very least, these men died of mysterious circumstances. Authorities checked to see if life insurance policies were taken out on these victims, and it turns out that most of the victims had life insurance policies. Roberta took out life insurance policies on several of the victims in amounts ranging from $50 to $225, 
with the largest policies on Reverend William Elder for $500 and $550 on Fannie Mae. Roberta Elder successfully collected on these policies after their deaths. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Although the police had evidence that Roberta took out the life insurance policies on William and his daughters, they couldn't prove that she purchased arsenic. William's surviving children had the theory that Roberta possibly got her hands on the arsenic by taking it from her brother's farm. All authorities had was circumstantial evidence. Roberta Elder was arrested on September 26, 1952. She was charged with the suspicious murder of William and his daughters, but as there was not enough evidence for the other murders, she was only tried for William's murder. In the trial, Roberta's stepchildren testified against her, and they told the courts she had in her possession a brown paper bag of pink powder she retrieved from her brother's farm in Watkinsville, Georgia. This is supposedly the arsenic that she used in the killings. However, when the children asked Roberta about this mysterious pink powder, she told the children the powder was used to kill insects on plants. During the trial, it is revealed that they all felt sick after eating her food. Dorothy Elder, another one of William's daughters, testified that she became very ill after taking milk of magnesia that Roberta had given her and her sister Viola testified that she had also developed the same illness as her siblings before recovering. 
It was also uncovered during testimony that William Elder Jr. had the same illness as his father and sisters after eating breakfast that was prepared by Roberta. However, he became suspicious of Roberta almost immediately and stopped eating her meals after his father died. It came to light during the trial that William Elder Jr., Dorothy Elder, and Viola Elder also had life insurance policies taken out by Roberta. Roberta Elder was ultimately convicted to a life sentence. She was taken to prison for her crimes, but the prosecutor expressed regret that Roberta could not be executed because the law prevented it under circumstantial prosecutions. Throughout the investigation and trial, Roberta maintained her innocence. When the news of a black female serial killer reached the public, Roberta Elder was dubbed Atlanta's Mrs. Bluebeard. This was a pejorative term often used to refer to those that kills multiple family members. The term comes from a children's fairy tale, in which a wealthy man with a blue beard kills multiple wives and leaves their bodies to rot in a special room in his home. Because of the number of deaths Roberta was linked to by police, the black press began to refer to Roberta as a serial killer. But even though Roberta reached notoriety with the black press, this did not translate to the mainstream white press. While the black press, including the Pittsburgh Courier and the Chicago Defender, reported on the case and on Elder's victims, the mainstream white press did not report on this case. Despite the coroner declaring Roberta's killing spree a, quote, unheard of thing that read like something out of a storybook, the case received little attention. If we consider the time period and place where these crimes occurred, I think it's not entirely shocking that the white news media did not report on this case. After all, Roberta's victims were black, and we know black victims receive way less immediate attention compared to white victims. But I still find it shocking that a female serial killer, a novelty to reporters and even scholars, seemed to arouse no interest, especially since we as black people are always stereotyped as dangerous and violent. You would think that they would maybe make an example out of Roberta Elder, but that wasn't the case. I also find it really interesting how this case was swept under the rug when the same year as Roberta's prosecution, a white woman named Nanny Doss was accused of killing four out of her five husbands. This white female serial killer was called Lady Bluebeard or the Giggling Granny because she giggled every time she was asked about the killings. It turns out that police later suspected that Doss possibly killed 11 of her family members, similar to Roberta's case. However, Nanny Doss's case garnered national attention. Even today, her case has public interest. Her name often appears in lists of top 10 notable female serial killers. In contrast, the mainstream white press ignored the Roberta Elder case. In the end, she settled in prison, having never confessed to the crimes she was accused of. And the victims went unremembered and have been lost to history over the years. According to the African American Intellectual History Society, quote, studies have shown that black perpetrators are disproportionately overrepresented in the media, while black victims are underrepresented. Meanwhile, white victims are overrepresented out of proportion to the rate at which Whites are crime victims. End quote. 
In the article, Roberta Elder, The Case of a Black Woman Serial Killer by Denise Lynn, psychologist Scott Bond argues that myths about serial killers and their victims have led to the assumption that black serial killers do not exist in significant numbers. He argues that this occurs because 90% of serial murderers kill people of the same race, and because American culture devalues black lives and misrepresents violent crime as something perpetrated by black criminals against white victims, black violent crime victims remain invisible. Between 1952 and 1954, the black press followed Elder's case through the criminal justice system. While law enforcement found more potential victims to tie to Elder, and while the white press took little interest in such a horrifying and unsettling case. Roberta Elder eventually died on July 23, 1993. And although she and her victims are long gone, the systematic problem of continually devaluing black violent crime victims remains to this very day. It's made obvious by the persistent public fascination with white serial killers and their victims, while Roberta Elder and the victims she is accused of killing remain forgotten. Black serial killers do exist, and the people they kill matter. Serial killing is not just a white person problem, and perpetuating the idea that it is only exacerbates the issue and leads to the erasure of the victims. Too often, the victims of serial killers get lost in the story. We end up knowing more about the killer than the victims, because society has this bizarre fascination with the serial killer's mind and life. But true crime isn't just about entertainment, at least not for me. For me, it's a way to remember those who were taken from this world in unnatural ways and make sure their deaths are not in vain. These stories are a way to honor their lives by doing my best to help bring their killers to justice so that their deaths are not stained by fear or dread or pain or violence, but so that their deaths bring about change, equity, justice, and hope for the future. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Lost Crimes Library podcast. If you enjoy the show, please show your support by leaving a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Also, follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at the Lost Crimes Library pod. Before you go, make sure you hit the follow button because new episodes drop every Wednesday and you won't want to miss it.